Welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad you're with us today. We welcome those at our Smyrna campus as well, and everybody that's joining us online. We're so glad you're with us today. We are in a series called I Love My Church, and last week we kicked off the series by talking about reasons uh, that we love our church, and a lot of you shared reasons with me in an email that I sent out, and I, I couldn't cover all of them in one message, but I, was, I just enjoyed reading those email responses as you shared particular things that you love about this church, and they lined right up with the things that I love about this church, too. For the next several weeks in this series now, we're not going to be talking not so much about why we love the church, but how we express that love for the church. How do we express to God, to our family and friends, to the community around us that we love our church? There are certain things we need to do, steps we need to take. And today we're starting with one that is so special to Lakeshore, and that is that we need to love in community with each other. Love in community. I want to do a little survey here. Smarter Campus, I want you to participate too. How many of you have a fence in your yard? Raise your hand if you have a fence. Okay, a lot of people with fences. All right, second question. How many of you that have a fence, your fence is only around your backyard? Raise your hand. My fence is that way too. Uh, Suanne and I have a fence around the backyard at our house. Here's the thing about fences. You've heard the expression, right? Good fences make good neighbors. So maybe you haven't heard it. Good fences make good neighbors, and there's some truth to that. I mean, there, there's a reason for boundaries. Boundaries are important, and we need to have healthy boundaries in our lives. And, and certainly with crime and things like that, it's good to have some boundaries there for protection and all of that. But we also know fences are not just for good neighbors. There's, there's reasons that we put fences there. One reason is we, we, really two things. We, we put up a fence to keep certain things in. And certain things out, right? Certain things in, certain things out. Uh, we've got a fence in our backyard. Uh, before we got, we had to replace it a while back. But before we replaced that fence with another fence that's much higher, we had a lower chain link fence around our backyard. And our daughter was living at home at the time. This is way back before she got married and all that. And she was living at home, but she had a boyfriend that gave her a dog. Uh, unsolicited. We didn't ask for it. Uh, <laughs> Thought he was being real cool and romantic, you know, gave her a puppy. Well, this puppy was older than he thought and was already pregnant when he gave her to us. <laughs> so we got a dog and puppies real fast. But this dog could jump any fence. It was amazing. We had that litter of puppies. We thought, well, we'll keep her fenced in. We didn't have a, a chance yet to get her fixed, so there, there were no puppies coming. And the dog jumped the fence almost every day and got out. And before you know it, we had more puppies. So we, we couldn't keep her in a fence. It was amazing. Now we've got a much taller fence, and we don't have that dog anymore. But, uh, <clears throat> but sometimes you want to keep things in, but sometimes you have a fence to keep certain things out, right? And, and the idea for most of us in America is we have a fence around our backyard. And here's what I love. The backyard fence is there to, to only welcome certain people into, right? I mean, only family and friends come around to the back or welcome to come around to the back. They're the people that you are okay 
even if the gate's closed, if, if it's family or a close friend that you've had over to your house a lot, or just, you know, if the gate's not locked, just come on around back when you get here, right? That's, that's normal. You've got certain people that you're comfortable with coming around back. And usually when you've got a fence around your backyard, you can keep your front yard looking really nice. But all the junk's in the back, right? All the junk is in the back. The messiness is in the back. And that's why you only want certain people, right? You only want certain people to come around back who are comfortable with your messiness in your life. They're okay with it. They know you already, right? They, they know that's how you live. That's what you're like. It's kind of like who you let in your house too, right? You, I hear people say all the time, well, I couldn't have the pastor over. My house is a mess. Welcome to the club. Yeah. We actually live in our house too. Did you know that? We, it's not messy, but it's not all put together perfectly either. It's not, you see, we, we have boundaries sometimes for good reasons, but sometimes we get a little too strict and strong with our boundaries, and we don't let people in. We don't let people into our lives. And if we're going to love the church the way God wants us to love the church, we've got to learn to put down some of the boundaries, to, to tear down some of the fences that we have in our lives that divide us from other people, that keep us from getting close, that keep us from really doing life together with each other. And that's scary. It is. For some people, it's scarier than for others. You've been hurt. You've been burned. You've had somebody take advantage of you along the way or let you down in a big way. And it's hard not to keep those fences up and even build them taller and taller once you've been hurt or been burned along the way. But if we're going to love the church, here's what you need to know about loving the church. We can say we love the church all day long and never really live it out. Because the church is the what? It's the people. So if you're going to say you love the church, that means you're going to choose to love the people that make up the church. And it's hard to love people that you don't let in. And it's hard for them to love you when you don't ever let them in. So we have to learn to, to have the right boundaries, but not to go overboard with the boundaries so that we can have relationships with each other that allow us to truly live out what it means to love the church, to love each other the way God wants us to love the church. So I want to talk about just four things here today about what it means, how to live this out. The first thing we need to understand about this is Jesus crashed the fence. Right up front. Jesus crashed the fence. In Hebrews 10, we're going to be looking at uh, this passage all the way through today. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 19, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, did you hear the terminology? What are we? Brothers and sisters. Now, he's talking to the church here. He's not talking to those outside the church. He's saying there's a special relationship within the church. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. Okay? And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The only way we can be part of this family is through the blood of Jesus, through the fact that Jesus crashed the fence. Here's what all of us need to understand. He's using an illustration here from the Old Testament uh, leading into Jesus dying on the cross. In the temple in the Old Testament, there was the holy place, but then there was the holy of holies. And between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was this curtain. You might think of it as a fence back then. And it was a tall fence. And it separated us from God. You know what the curtain represented? Our sin. The scripture says we've all sinned and come short of the holiness, the perfection of God. Our sin separates us from a pure and holy God. We could not come into his presence, be part of his family, and dwell there with him as long as we have this sin problem in our lives. And here's the thing about this sin problem. It's a problem you can't fix, and I can't fix. People are just killing themselves trying to fix this problem on their own. I hear it all the time. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to get it right this time. I know I messed up in the past, but I'm going to do better now. And what happens inevitably? You mess up. You fail. So do I. That's why the curtain would always be there if it were up to us. We would always be separated from the Father. We could never enter into and dwell in the presence of God with our sin problem. But if you remember, if you go back and read the account of Jesus dying on the cross, something amazing happened in the temple there in Jerusalem when he gave his last breath on that cross. It says there was like a great earthquake. And what happened to that curtain in the temple? It was torn, it was ripped in half, torn in two from top to bottom. Now you have to understand the curtain in the temple was not some a light curtain that just kind of blocked a little bit of the light. It was thick. It was, it was made of heavy material, and it required a lot of support to be hung in the temple because it was so heavy, and it couldn't just tear easily. This was God saying, what Jesus just did for you on that cross, it crashes the fence. It tears it down. It rips it apart. It gives us all access into the very presence of a holy God so that we could be there with Him and dwell with Him forever. God took the initiative to tear down the fence that we built between us and Him. We're the ones that chose to sin. Yeah, you can blame Adam and Eve, but we've all done it since then, right? We've all committed sin. So we all were guilty of, of adding to that separation, that fence between us and the holy God. But the blood of Jesus on that cross is what takes away the barrier, the, the division between us and God. So that we can, with confidence of faith, Enter into the presence of God. A new and living way, he says, has been opened up for us through that curtain. That is his body. And now we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus himself. Now we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings. That faith we have in Jesus allows us 
to enter into the presence of God. We've been cleansed from that guilty conscience that sin would have for us. Our bodies have been washed with pure water and baptism. We are united with Jesus in his death on that cross, and we raise up to a new life, washed clean and brand new. Now we can enter into the presence of a holy God. It's made possible through Jesus. So Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He wants us to tear down fences, but he, he started it. He set the example. He tore down the greatest barrier of all between us and a holy God. But Jesus didn't just do it between us and God. Jesus also set the example in his ministry of tearing down fences between us and other people. There's a great account, you could go back and read it later, of Jesus who was traveling with his disciples and they came to this well in Samaria that was outside where it was Jacob's well. And, and there there was this woman who came to draw water in the middle of the day. Jesus' disciples left him to go into town, remember, to get, to get supplies. And, and there's Jesus out there thirsty and a woman comes out to get water. And he asked her to give him a drink of water. And the woman says, how is it that you would ask me a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water. For Jews have no contact, no dealing with, no interaction with Samaritans. Between Jews and Samaritans, they had built a what? They built this wall, this fence between them. They were seen as a, by the Jews looking at the Samaritans, they saw the Samaritans as an inferior race of people. People who didn't deserve to be on equal terms with them at all and oftentimes if they had to travel somewhere as Jews they wouldn't even go through they wouldn't even set foot in Samaria they would go the long way around just to not have to cross through Samaria to avoid having any contact and if they did by accident have contact with a Samaritan they went through a ceremonial cleansing afterwards in their minds that's how inferior they were a different race and a different ethnicity and they thought of them as inferior. The Samaritans, however, had a great hatred for the Jews, too. I mean, if you were treated that way, you'd, you'd develop some anger, wouldn't you? You would develop some animosity toward anybody that would treat you that way. So they reciprocated with hate and animosity toward the Jews. And yet here is someone that is obvious to this woman. This is a Jewish teacher, a highly respected man, who asked her, to have interaction with him by giving him a drink of water. Her water that she drew from the well. He was going to drink that water that she gave him. You see, Jesus crashed the fence. What he did on the cross was meant not only to bring us together with God, but it was meant to open the way for us to love each other. The way God means for us to love each other. He didn't just do it with the Samaritan woman. He did it over and over again. He actually had one that he chose to be one of his disciples who had been a tax collector. In that culture, tax collectors, not like today, of course, tax collectors were seen as evil people. And many of them were. I mean, they worked for the Roman government. That's the enemy of the Jews. And not only did they work for the Roman government, but they often lied and stole and cheated from their own people so that they can make extra money that they would get from Rome when they did that. They were despised, yet Jesus welcomed them into his backyard. 
He crashed the fence. You see, Jesus has set a great example for us of what it means to love the church. To love the church is to love the people, all the people. No matter what they look like, no matter where they come from, no matter what economic status they have, no matter what race or ethnicity, it doesn't matter. We are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are to love each other. That's what it means to love the church. Jesus crashed the fence. So here's, here's what we need to learn from that. We need to learn to allow others into your yard too. Allow others into your yard. He said in Hebrews 10, 25, after he, he gives us the reminder of what Jesus did for us, he says in verse 25 that we are not to be giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some of the early church already, remember the saying here at Lakeshore, given enough time and opportunity, we human beings can do what? We can mess it up. The church hasn't been around very long, and already what are some of the members doing? They're neglecting, they're messing it up. They're neglecting assembling together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not making it a priority anymore. They're not giving it the attention and the effort that it ought to have anymore. Already, that early in the life of the church, they're, they're slacking off. They're not sticking with their commitment to love each other. They're not even getting together regularly like they should as a church. So he says, don't give up doing that. That's important. You can't love the church if you don't stay connected to the church. Because the church is the what? The people. And you can't stay connected to the people if you don't get with them regularly, can you? So he's saying, it's important if you say you love the church, that you not neglect the assembling together, getting together with those who make up the church. That's part of what it means to love the church. How many of you remember the show Home Improvement? There was a character on Home Improvement. It was one of my favorites. Uh, I think we got a picture. We got, do we have that picture? I don't know if we got it. Do we have it? No, we don't have it. Man, we had a, I, I had a picture I wanted us to use, uh, and, I, and we didn't get it on there, of Wilson looking over the fence, right? You remember the whole show until the very end, you never saw Wilson's whole face, did you? You would see his eyes, and they would always show him with, you know, reading a book if he wasn't behind the fence, and all you would see was the top, right, or, or something like that. You never saw his whole face. And, and when Tim wanted to talk to Wilson, how did he do it? Over the fence, right? Now, in a few episodes, they started inviting Wilson into the house, into the yard. They still didn't show his whole face for us, but, but the family was bringing him in, tearing down the fence. And we have to start understanding that in order to love the church, we've got to start doing that for each other. We've got to start welcoming each other into the backyard, into our lives, our real lives. See, the early church was described as people who, who really loved one another. That's what they were known for. That was the attribute they noticed the most. And one of the descriptions when you read the book of Acts about the early church is that they did life together. They didn't even just assemble together on Sundays. They did things together outside of the assembly of the church on Sundays too. That's one reason I, I try to let you know how important it is to connect in small groups in the church. 
Because only in those smaller group settings can you really start doing life together. You see, attending this service right here, this is good, and we shouldn't neglect it. But friends, this isn't really doing life together. It's not. As much as we want to think we could check off our box now that we love the church because we went to a service, that's not fully loving the church. Loving the church is loving the people. And you could attend every Sunday and really never even get to know many people. A lot of people do that their whole lives. They attend church every Sunday and they might know two or three people, maybe not even that. And they don't even know them well. They don't do anything with them. That's just people who go to the same church they go to. It's not really friends. It doesn't go any deeper than that. Now, if your spouse treated you that way, would you think they loved you? They showed up once a week? Ate something and left? Would you think that's a really good, loving relationship to have? No, of course not. That's not the way relationships are supposed to work. And if we're going to really say we love the church, then it's got to be more than just showing up for a service on Sundays. It's got to be that we start getting connected and involved and having life lived out together. That's why I was so glad we had hundreds of people go through our rooted small group Bible study together. And in that rooted program, they did experiences together like a prayer experience. And they had a time of communion together. They had a time when they went and served together somewhere. When you do stuff like that together, that's when you really develop those kinds of relationships in the church that God wants you to have. So we need to know that, that Jesus crashed the fence and he set the example. Remember how, how he did his ministry? He recruited right off the bat 12 guys. To come and meet with him once a week? Is that what they did? What did they do? They walked through life together. And they developed close relationships. Now, he was closer to some than others. That's normal. But all of them did life together as followers of Jesus. That band of 12, for three years of Jesus' ministry walked together and served together and ministered to people together. They did life together. You see, Jesus crashed the fence and he set the example of what it means to love the church, to give yourself up, to allow people in to your yard, into your life, to do life together. And that's why it's so important you get connected and involved beyond just attending the assemblies on Sundays. Because you can't love the church that way, the way God wants you to love the church. Because loving the church is loving those people that assembled there that Sunday. Well, there's another thing. The third thing is this. If we could do this, if we could start taking the fence down, we could start letting people into our yard, then we could learn to enjoy the company. We can learn to enjoy the company. Even when it's a little awkward at first, even when it's not natural for you at first, you can learn to do this. Look at what he went on to say in Hebrews 10, remember 24 and 25, he said this about, about the church. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
He says what you can start doing is seeing yourself as on mission for Jesus. When you let him into your yard, it's not just an inconvenience for you. It's with a purpose. Your purpose is now to encourage them, to build them up, to help them do the good stuff that God wants them to be doing with their lives. You become an encourager for those people. See, that's what God wants you to be in the church, an encourager. Uh, we're not doing any more sign-ups for complainers here, by the way. <laughs> Plenty of those already exist. We, we, we don't need any more critics. Don't sign up to be a critic. we got plenty of those already. You know what we need more of? Encouragers. People who will build others up and encourage them and assist others and work together with others to get the good stuff done that God wants us to be doing as a church. Because if the church is going to do it, it means who's going to do it? Us. We're the church. If the church is going to get any good things done, it means we're going to get those good things done together as the body of Christ. Loving the church means loving each other, letting people into your yard and learning to enjoy the company. And here's what I know. You will start enjoying life a lot more when you stop being the critic, you stop being the complainer, and you start being the encourager. That's when you're going to get so much more joy out of life than you've ever gotten before. The church doesn't need any more critics. There's plenty of them already outside the church. They'll take care of that job. Let's be the encouragers that God has called us to be. Because here's what you need to know. The church will mess up because it's made up of what? People. And given enough time and opportunity, what will people do? Mess it up. But when we mess up, you know what we need the most? Encouragers, not critics, not complainers. Encouragers who will come alongside each other and help each other do better next time. Get it right the next time. Together with some help, we can learn to do better together than any of us will do on our own. So we learn to enjoy the company. I love this description of the early church in Acts 2 in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that's the sharing life together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Listen to this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Oh, you mean they didn't just show up on Sundays? They broke bread in their homes. Oh, they invited them behind the fence. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what was the result of that? The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. That was the result of that. It's amazing how effective this early church was because they tore down the fences. They brought each other into each other's yards. They did life together, and they genuinely enjoyed the company. They encouraged and built each other up in the body of Christ. So I want to give you some guidelines on this because this is not an easy step to take. It's not natural for everybody. But it's something we can learn to do. The first step is this. Learn to have healthy expectations. Here's an unhealthy expectation. At a church of any size at all. I, I'm, I'm supposed to know everybody. Wrong. If a church is larger and it's growing, you'll never know everybody. And that's okay. He didn't command you to know everybody. 
He just commanded you to love those that you do know. Here's another unhealthy expectation. I'll be best friends with everybody. If you've got one best friend, you're blessed. If you've got two, what an amazing blessing. It's unrealistic to expect that you're going to be best friends with everybody at that church. Nobody is. I'm not best friends with everybody here. And I'm the pastor. I love everybody, but I'm not best friends with everybody. You can't be. It's impossible to be that. So you have to know and not expect that. That's an unhealthy, unrealistic expectation. A healthy expectation is that I will build some great connections throughout the family. Some great friendships will develop over time. And there will be some deep relationships with a few of those people. But it takes time for that. So you've got to have a healthy goal in mind. It won't just happen automatically. It takes time to develop those relationships. But it will never develop just by showing up on Sundays. I can guarantee you that. It will never happen just for, by showing up for the church services on Sunday and then leaving after service is over and not having any more contact with the church other than that. You don't develop deep relationships that way. They don't happen. And people blame it on the church all the time. I've been attending that church six years now and I don't have any real friends there. Well, maybe all you ever did was show up on Sunday and expect that to happen. It does not happen that way. Not for you, not for anybody. Here's another one. You have to learn to realize that baby steps are okay. Let me be clear. It doesn't mean you're going to let every single person into the more personal parts of your life the first day that you meet them. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. By the way, some of you go about this a really, really bad way. You start sharing everything and every detail on social media the first day. Even with your close friends, you don't need to do that. Back it up a little. They're not ready for that. Neither are you. It doesn't just happen like that. And that's not even the goal. That doesn't even make any sense. At first, you're going to hang out in the front yard. And then, as you get to know each other better and you feel like you can let down some boundaries, you might invite them back for a special event in the backyard. Have a barbecue or something, right? Get to know them a little better. And then, as it develops into a deeper relationship, then you begin to share the more intimate things of life with each other. And that will happen only with a few people, and it should only happen with a few people who are deeper, mature followers of Jesus who can handle that kind of stuff. Because some people aren't ready to handle that yet. So we have to let this develop over time. And you don't need to let everybody into the most intimate details. But you need to work toward letting some people in as you develop those relationships. But here's the other thing. That is you need to take some ownership for this to happen. Realize that this is everyone's job, not everyone else's job. There's a difference in it being everybody's job. And everybody else's job. If it's everybody's job, then whose job is it also? It's yours. If you want to develop deep friendships in the church, who's the primary person responsible for that? You are. You are. Not somebody else. You. We all need to work at it. 
If you're sitting down on Sundays waiting for somebody to come to you and develop this great relationship with you, you're sitting in the wrong spot. That's not the way it's supposed to work. If you are a Christ follower, then you're supposed to come here to do what for other people? Serve and encourage them. You start coming in here with that attitude where you are here to serve and to encourage others. And I got to tell you, you you will have to beat friends off with a stick because everybody's looking for somebody like that in their lives. Don't beat them off with a stick, by the way. That's an expression in case you haven't ever heard that. I don't want anybody bringing sticks in. Okay. People long for somebody who will reach out and encourage and support them. Start being that person for other people. And you will naturally, as a result of that, start developing relationships with people. And that will grow into friendships with some of those people. And some of those friendships will grow deep over time. But that does not happen quickly. And you've got to take responsibility for the process for yourself. Nobody can make that happen for you. You have to take the steps. So, we need to understand, Jesus crashed the fence. We need to start following His example by allowing some others into our yard. And we need to learn to enjoy the company and be that encourager for other people that we need to be. But I want to add one more thing that's really important for the church to understand. And that is, we don't need to stop there. We need to start pursuing the marginalized around us. Pursuing the marginalized. Jesus told a story in Luke 14. It's recorded for us in verse 16. He said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now, that's the people already in the church, right? That's the people already connected. Those are the ones that are, that are, they got the invitation. They know about it. They know what's going on. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. Does that sound familiar? I can't be there today. I just bought a field. I've got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. We got a couple in here that just got married, and they're back here this Sunday. Isn't that great? They didn't make that an excuse for not being here today. Sean and Sydney, good job. I was looking for you. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. He's saying to the church, to those who would follow him, It's great for you to have some good friends that you've developed in the church. But don't think that that's all there is to loving the way God wants you to love. There are people who aren't here yet. People who don't know Jesus yet. People who are hurting and struggling and need help and they need somebody that cares about them. And they're not here right now. And what we need to do is pursue those people and bring them into our backyard too. We need to invite them inside our fences, too. They need to know that Jesus Christ's church loves them and cares for them. 
too. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we know that it's sometimes more comfortable just to keep our fences up and not allow anybody in. But you've you've given us the example of Jesus that you want us to to tear down the fences, to reach out across the boundaries and to love each other and to to love those who don't even know you yet. The way the way you have set the example through Jesus and the way he loved us. Father, there may be somebody here today who does not yet know what it means to be part of this family. And maybe they're looking and longing for, for that place where they can connect and belong and be used by you to do the good that you want them to do. Father, help them to know this is that place where they could come. This is that place where if they would come, and, and they would come repenting of sin, surrendering to your lordship, that you have died on the cross for those sins, they could be freely forgiven and they could be added to the family. If they would just take that step. Come back to you through the path that you provided through your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.